When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that are really on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. This is episode number 197. And it's a special episode at that. We're going to dig deep into the fears of a bank collapse with some fresh comments from some surprising companies far from Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley's bank. We have comments from Caterpillar. And yeah, we'll talk to a national airline with a secret venture capital portfolio. And we have an in-depth interview just in time for this time, a devoted junk bond investor, Eagle Point Capital CEO, Thomas Majewski, who's focused on what he thinks is a profitable tranche of debt even now. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But hit the subscribe button. Make sure you catch every show. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and a move and Boy, they have been moving this week, Isaac. Uh, Isaac Webster joining me, our executive producer. Uh, Isaac, the fallout from the collapse of Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Capital uh, continues, um, uh, both on a sort of a daily basis, but I think in a big macro way, a lot of companies are getting a lot of questions that you wouldn't expect. That's where we're going to dig today. So, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on then? Well, let's start with that great Silicon Valley company, Caterpillar. Caterpillar is not one I think of a valley company, but uh, Caterpillar trades under CAT, of course, C-A-T. Shares have dropped 13% over the past month and are flat for the past, over the past 12 months. What's going on with CAT? I have not been to Caterpillar headquarters in Peoria, Illinois, but uh, no, it is far from Silicon Valley in every way, Mm -hmm. although they'd like to argue that their technologies are very exciting. But uh, uh, Caterpillar uh, is not exactly a company I would have expected it to be fielding questions about the fallout from Silicon Valley Bank's collapse and Signature Bank and Silvergate Capital. And I think when we look back on this episode, this will be blamed on Silicon Valley Bank. But in fact, uh, I think we're going to see some other companies with some lending problems, other banks. Yes, but what about companies like Caterpillar that also lend a lot of money and have to manage uh, their business not least of which is Caterpillar's Cat Financial. Well, at, at speaking Tuesday at a Goldman Sachs uh, uh, conference called Con Expo, Caterpillar's CEO took some questions about Silicon Valley Bank, some concerns 
uh, CEO Jim Umpblaby had to answer. Let me mention Cat Financial first. Uh, uh, Cat Financial is very conservatively managed. Um, you know, we only loan money to customers that are buying Caterpillar equipment. And of course, we have that equipment that's collateral for that loan. We match assets and liability and duration. That's very important. And again, it's a very conservatively managed operation. In terms of looking for signposts, one of the, well, sorry, one more comment about cap finance. Uh, one of the things we do monitor as a signpost is past dues, and those are near record lows. So looking at that, what that tells us our customers financially are quite healthy. Now, other signposts we look at in the business, obviously lots of conversations with our dealers. We look at order rates. We look at sales to users. We look at quotation activity that's occurring. And again, uh, everything that we see is very consistent with that, that landscape that I described for you earlier in terms of what we see in the, in the marketplace. So again, we watch a lot of things very closely. But again, past dues near record lows for cat finance, you know, healthy dues, healthy order rates. We feel good about the business. So they say they feel good. They say their customers are quite healthy. Uh, the, Caterpillar's often said that they have had problems in the past with their financing unit, but a lot of eyes on them, more eyes on them than you would expect this week because of other problems uh, coming out of Silicon Valley and elsewhere. I mean, there's a lot more eyes on all lenders at this point, especially with the Credit Suisse news today. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines trades under ALK and shares have dropped 4% in a week and 21% over the past year. What's going on with Alaska Air? Well, uh, Alaska, well, first of all, I should say that uh, I work hard to try to take my biases out of the way that I cover the news, but I have biases, everyone does, and I'm still mad at these guys for taking away my beloved Virgin America when they bought that company low 10 years ago mm -hmm. or so. But surprisingly to me, uh, I guess I knew this, but, but uh, I, maybe to you, listener, maybe to you, Isaac Webster, Alaska Air Group has a venture capital arm. They have a, a little bit of venture exposure. And uh, one wonders what's going to happen in the world of venture. And venture capitalists are pining on this in some ways in the national media, but so is Chief Financial Officer from Alaska Air Group, Shane Tackett, was asked about this on Tuesday uh, at a J.P. Morgan Industrials conference about how Silicon Valley Bank's collapse might affect them. Uh, and uh, his answer, I think, was a little bit of a surprise. We don't bank with them. I don't think, um, honestly, uh, the few, we're, we're, we're limited partners in a couple venture sort of, you know, uh, we, we have a venture capital arm, very small. We have, we're LPs with a, a couple of folks that were impacted on a very small degree. You're talking like sub $5 million, but they've gotten all of their money. So it, it, it hasn't really had an issue. Uh, there hasn't been a ripple through that we're feeling or seeing uh, or worried about right now in terms of, you know, the immediate impact on the West Coast or, or investment. Um, certainly a scary time for, for those startups and, and the firms that were you know, banking with them and had, you know, 25 or more percent of their cash, you know, with them. So um, I don't know that much about it. That's your guys' industry, the banking industry more than mine. I hope that this stops and there's not, you know, sort of a, a spread of contagion here, but it seems like it's, it's pretty isolated right now. So contagion is the question and yet it's affecting an airline, particularly one with a venture capital book. 
Uh, yeah, he kind of reminded me of Mariah Carey right there. I don't know her. I'm, I don't know her. Really? <laughs> That's a famous Mariah Carey meme. I think you guys can look it up at home. It's very funny. I think we're going to be hearing a lot about that. <laughs> no, I don't know her. I don't know her. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, we should at least look at one bank mm -hmm. and a big bank far, far, far Silicon Valley, Nat West Group, big British bank. Had some SVB comments this week too. Nat West Group trades under NWG and shares have dropped 13% over the past month, but they've gained NWG shares have gained almost 5% in a year. So what are they saying? Yeah, another bank, uh, Nat West, um, talking about these issues at a Morgan Stanley European Financials Conference uh, on Tuesday. Uh, CEO Allison Rose um, talking about, I think, uh, some of the biggest questions um, uh, that this raises, not just should everyone manage risk better? Yeah. Is everyone thinking about risk more? Yeah, obviously. But maybe more interesting, how are depositors going to behave differently? Because we have had the federal government in the U.S. come out and say, we're going to back depositors above the amounts of the FDIC insurance. They have not reissued those statements. They haven't reiterated that uh, support in, in legislation or policy or even policy suggestions. And maybe that's wise because um, maybe you want a specter of moral hazard without having to say it. Maybe you want to take time to get the um, legislation right. But between now and then, what happens at banks? What happens with depositors? And what's it like to be at a bank right now? Well, CEO of NetWest Group, Allison Rose, again speaking at a JP, or sorry, a Morgan Stanley uh, European Financials Conference on Tuesday. Here's what she had to say. It's been an interesting sort of weekend mm. and weekend, and I'm sure a busy weekend for everyone. Um, we look at, I, I think, first of all, we don't see any read across of SVB um, uh, to, to us. Um, one of the things that we've been very focused on at NetWest is building a very you know, resilient, um, all weatherproof uh, balance sheet, and that's both on the credit side, but also the liquidity and capital um, funding side. Um, if you look at our position, our strong capital and liquidity position, it's very robust. Our business is across retail and commercial, very well diversified, so it's not concentrated in, in any areas. And that very disciplined risk management is a core cool part of our our strategy. So I think on on our deposits, and I think one of one of the the, the big unknowns is and, and is how customer behaviour is evolving around deposits. Um, I think from a strategic perspective, you know, we, we obviously have you know high levels of deposits and excess liquidity, and so our strategy is very much around balancing our position appropriately between um, the value of those deposits, whether for liquidity or income. Um, making sure we, we balance the overall all returns that, that we make and, and the decisions we make around that. I'm very comfortable we have the right product. We will be competitive, we will be dynamic, um, and we'll continue to manage that um, as, as we go forward. And obviously, the, the things we're looking and, and watching closely are how, how customers are behaving around their deposits and how the competitive market is evolving. And, and we're very comfortable we're managing both. So, yeah, managing risk is what uh, banks are supposed to do. When the banks screw up doing that, it's what uh, oversight is supposed to do for in the, in the U.S., from the federal government, from the FDIC, from the 
Office of the Control of the uh, the Comptroller of the Currency, which famously does much tougher audits than the FDIC. But uh, you know, I think uh, banks, even banks that are managing things a little bit better, um, are are obviously kicking the tires on their own systems this week. All right, what does this mean for other types of debt? We have just the guest for that. Eagle Point Capital is a publicly traded investment fund that focuses on a special tranche of corporate debt, collateralized loan obligations, CLOs. Yeah, it's, it's a piece of junk, literally a piece of junk bonds. This company is paying a huge dividend right now, but its stock is getting beat up. So how is the business of lending junk right now? We're going to talk to Eagle Point Capital CEO Tom Majewski right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by uh, Tom Majewski the CEO of Eagle Point, one of our rare repeat interviews, uh, Tom. I, it, it seemed like a good idea that Tom, at the time, because when we booked you, because the, the, your stock has gone, you know, uh, it's performed quite well since we last had you on the show. But because you are involved in the world of high-yield credit, oh my goodness, what a great time to have you on the show. Uh, what The world looks really different to me than it did uh, a week ago with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, um, less so Silvergate. I was predicting that one. But um, how does the world look different to you? Well, thanks very much for having me on again. I like the uh, repeat status here. So appreciate uh, appreciate your having me. It's a rare um, one. Indeed, indeed, no one last Monday was talking about regional bank crisis. Um, so we're, we're, we're certainly looking at, a, at an entire new world in, in the market. Um, Against that, I think the phrase regional bank crisis is significantly overblown. Uh, what the uh, the unfortunate events at Silicon Valley Bank in particular, um, Signature Bank much smaller in the overall scheme of things. Um, Silicon Valley Bank is the second largest bank failure in the history of the United States. Yeah, you're taking Lehman that's out of that list, and I think that's appropriate. Lehman was not a depositor insured bank. Correct. Uh, taking out uh, basically of any FDIC insured institution. Um, where people put their money in at 100 cents on the dollar and expect to get their money out at 100 cents on the dollar, maybe even with a little bit of interest. Um, and, and, and therein lies the problem. Um, this was a, not a risk, a credit risk problem. This was an asset liability mismatch problem. Um, banks do what banks have done for a long time. They borrow at a low rate and they lend out at a higher rate. Um, typically, they borrow short, however, and lend long. You're in my checking account or savings account, whatever it may be. Um, hopefully not at Silicon Valley Bank, but even if it was, you, you, it all worked out. Um, that, that mismatch is a classic bank failure, a classic formula for bank failure. And what we saw play out was not any particular credit problems in their portfolio, but simply uh, in the case of SVB and a number of other financial institutions, having long dated, even five-year, even longer fixed rate fixed rate, fixed interest instruments in a rising interest rate world. And 
the way banks are able to report their, their finances, and there's some merit to this, but there's also a cost. If a bank buys something uh, similar um, of, of a good quality and they plan to just hold it to maturity, rather than have the mark-to-market of that investment, which might even be AAA or AA rated, not a, not a credit risk investment, but rather than having the marks move around through their earnings per share and their capital base, the accountants let banks use something called hold to maturity accounting. Right, they right. These so, maybe one percent treasury bonds at par five years ago, and sure. they're going to get their one percent and their money back. Well, yeah, Sadly, and, and, the and, and, and the money back sooner. And for most investors in in uh, uh, the world, they have never, you know, uh, in the nineteen eighties, ten percent was seen as an improvement in in the in the rate environment, right? But we have, yes. and we have, and ever since we have lived through a generally uh, systemically lowered and lowering rate environment, right? There, where everyone, on some level, had their entire experience as an investor, as a business manager, was to watch rates go down. And your business, which I want to get to here, is about uh, is is all about rates and rates on the on the on the high yield end has existed almost for its entirety, right? Since the eighties, since 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 junk bonds, high yield credit, whatever, uh, have, has been a, a, a big business, has been an environment where rates are generally coming down over the long term. That might not be the case anymore. And I wonder if a lot of the knee-jerk instincts and a lot of the business models, and indeed the Eagle Point business model, is on some level, level based on a long-term lowering of credit rates and a near-term uh, easing of credit rates. And so I wonder... We, we, let's, let's step back. 30,000 feet, uh, elevator pitch. What's your business model? So Eagle Point Credit Management is a specialist investment manager focused on delivering high current income strategies in niche off-the-run investment markets. Among those things that we manage include CLO equity um, and something that we run through a number of strate- number of portfolios, including one publicly traded portfolio called Eagle Point Credit Company, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under ECC. This owns significant, uh, substantially all of its assets um, are of ECC's assets are pieces of CLO equity, where typically Eagle Point as a firm is the majority owner of the CLO equity tranche. Now, CLOs, we think of, frankly, as a better bank in that what they do is lend money to big American companies. These are typically senior secured loans to big American companies. American Airlines, Cablevision, large companies below investment grade, but companies you do business with every day, and smaller companies as well. But importantly, they're they're senior and secured, and they're typically floating rate. A CLO finances itself with 12-year financing that's prepayable after two years. And these loans that we make are typically about seven or eight years. So we do what every bank does, a CLO does what every bank does. We borrow at a low rate and we lend at a high rate and we keep the spread for ourselves. But CLOs have done what no bank has ever figured out. We borrow long and lend short, but we can also prepay our financing if we decide it's advantageous to just unwind any given CLO. We're fortunate, our, our assets and liabilities are all floating rate. So it's all typically off of three month LIBOR or three month SOFR. So as rates move up on the loans or rates move up on our financing costs, it's pretty much in lockstep. It's never perfect, but it's the opposite of what happened at, at Silicon Valley Bank or many other banks that have had proverbial runs on the bank. 
So Jeff Gunlike had this fantastic interview on CNBC this week, and he said, does high-yield credit ever really mature? Doesn't it, hasn't it always just refinanced or gone bust? But maybe we're in a rate now where there isn't um, uh, uh, refinancing of high yield, and I wonder how that might change your business if you've thought about that. Sure. So there's, there's two different things when people use the phrase high yield. There's fixed rate high yield bonds, which are typically unsecured. And then there's something called senior secured loans, which are also below investment grade, but they're floating rate. Now, if you issued a high yield bond two years ago, you probably issued at 4%. That might not meet the actual te technical definition, in my opinion, of a high yield, but that's the rate where many companies were able to borrow at. Um, in the loan, and if you borrowed two years ago as a bond loan borrower, you're still paying 4% and you're, you're quite pleased because you're getting very, very attractive financing. If you're in the loan market, you are paying a floating rate of interest. So you were borrowing at, say, LIBOR plus 350 a few years ago. Well, you're still paying LIBOR plus 350 or maybe SOFR plus 350 now, but all of a sudden your base rate is close to 5%. And your rate that would have been under 4 is now over 8% on an all-in basis. So for companies, in many cases, they're facing higher debt costs today if they were a loan borrower than they would have faced two years ago. And that may cause some credit problems unto itself. But what's it's why do companies refinance their debt in general, certainly in the loan market, is principally due to mergers and acquisitions. And we invest in CLOs, collateralized loan obligations. That L is actually the same L in LBO, leverage buyouts. In most cases, the companies that our CLOs lend money to are companies that are owned by private equity sponsors like Blackstone or Carlyle or KKR, many of the best in breed companies. But what these folks are interested in doing is buying a company, cutting costs, growing EBITDA, optimizing operations, and then selling it three to five years from now at a handsome profit. And when they go to sell that company, they have to pay off the debt. Now, probably some other company is going to buy it and issue new debt as well. So, so Jeff's statement is correct. It's refinanced. But as part of the sale from one private equity sponsor to maybe another company or another private equity sponsor, they actually have to come back to the table and repay their debt. Over the long term, loans and at that repay. Moment, you, you, you get made whole as well and, and get We get paid a par. Yeah. Right. And so here's some interesting stats. In April of 2020, Clearly a very difficult time in the world, 2% of the loan market paid off at par that month. So just by opening the mail when loans were trading at 80 cents on the dollar, CLOs were getting 2% of their portfolio back on average at par. You could take those par dollars and go be on the offense when there were a few other buyers. Like in that case, everyone made COVID mistakes. No one called COVID perfectly. However, the ability to take par dollars and reinvest them in a discounted market, more than made up for any mistakes you might have made in many cases for CLOs. So even though so rates are moving up or down, there's always yes. a reason to repay. Do you anticipate more or less, I won't let you push, more or less activity uh, in, in private equity exits in the next year, given the current environment of, of, of rising rates, of new difficulty for venture financing, uh, which I think might be a fair... Um, uh, expectation after the Silicon Valley Bank exit. What do you, what do you guess? More or less? Uh, less. Uh, less. That's an easy one. Um, 
if anything, and we, you know, I have data to back it up that we're seeing it already in that the prepayment rate on loans, while on average it's in the low 30s, last year was about 15%, give or take. And so by just hard math, you can see the, the amount of realizations and sales of companies has slowed for a period of time. Now, private equity, um, and it's very different than venture capital funds, and the private equity investors are usually investing in companies that have earnings and profits and revenue. Venture capital is typically someone, hey, I've got an app, I've got a great idea, let's scale it to a billion users, but we don't have any revenue yet. So we're dealing at a more advanced stage company um, in general. Private equity funds are typically 12 or 15 years in life. And while sponsors typically look to turn something over every three or four years, um, a, a great example would be Hilton Hotels. This is from ages ago. Blackstone bought it in 2007 on the eve of the financial crisis. They doubled their money, which is great, but it took them over 10 years to do it. But they had the steady hand to be able to, the funds that they owned it in were long-term funds without the risk of redemption, without the risk of a run on the bank, frankly. Um, they probably got lower than their targeted IRR, if I had to guess, but there's never a scenario where doubling your money is bad either. In that case, the creditors all got paid in full and the private equity investors probably got a lower IRR, but a good outcome. But they had the steady hand and they sold when it made sense to sell. So we're seeing a slowdown so, today, but we'll pick it up in the future. So maybe fewer opportunities for you going forward. I wonder what that means, you know, to, to put, to, to put a, a point on it. What does that mean for your dividend? And you've had a great history of special dividends as well. Sure. So the the... What we were just talking about there were principal repayments. Um, and typically within a CLO, the principal is reinvested within the CLO. And just the net interest income is distributed to the CLO equity. And that net interest income, which we report on a quarterly basis, um, is typically what we use to, to fund the distributions to common shareholders. Um, so even if loans aren't prepaying, as long as they're not defaulting, we keep getting that interest. And again, we're borrowing at a low rate, lending at a high rate. So that NIM or net interest margin keeps coming out to our CLOs, which allows us to have typically plenty of cash in the coffers every single quarter at ECC. So again, to the safety of the dividend, how do, what, how do you put it? Well, it's hard to uh, give formal dividend guidance or distribution guidance. Um, we have declared uh, distributions for the first half of the year. Um, and you can see our cash flows are typically comfortably in excess of our distributions. That's the number so, one thing. As long as we have more cash, that's usually a good sign. So then how does it start to look um, for you in this? Uh, how does the changing rate environment change your business? Not a heck of a lot on CLO equity, to be completely candid. If anything, um, and this probably takes place a little bit over time, not yet. Um, everyone loves that these loans are floating rate. They're paying higher interest. If Silicon Valley Bank owned all floating rate loans, they probably would still be Silicon Valley Bank today. So we love getting floating rate investments. That's great. As rates go up, we win. Flip side is there's a company CFO or treasurer who has to pay basically double the interest that he or she was paying 18 months ago. And you, you hear headlines of the world loans or companies are over levered. There's excess leverage in the system. Much of that is hyperbole, not, not backed by data in my opinion, but the data represents averages and there's always a distribution. Um, if anything, I do think that leads to a slight pickup in corporate defaults over the next six to 18 months as 
companies can probably get by with one or two payments. Like if you have a floating rate mortgage, you were paying you know, low interest, now you're paying a higher rate of interest. Um, you could probably get by for a little bit, but at some point the higher interest costs may come and hurt you. Um, and that in our world would cause higher defaults in the underlying loans. On the surface, that's bad news. However, typically CLO equity outperforms in the medium term when defaults are higher. And why is that? That's very odd. And I saw your look there. Um, yes. It's because for our, for our dear listeners, their eyebrows were raised. He had a one eye eyebrow raise. Very, very pronounced. Um, um, we have a general view, and this is my personal belief, that price volatility in loans will always be worse than the actual default experience. The rumor is worse than the news. Sure. It's hard to see a scenario where 10% of corporate America is defaulting and loans trade down five points. How, how many banks look that they're going to go out of business on, on Friday and Monday that are fined by midweek? <laughs> well, one, I guess, or two. But, uh, but in general, the, the new rumor, there's thousands of these leveraged loan borrowers. If, if 5% of loans are going to default in the next year, and that's not my prediction, um, but if that were to happen, nearly certainly loans are trading at 90 cents on the dollar or lower. In, that, in, the, in my experience in the credit markets, the room, because credit people by, by definition were pessimists, uh, the, the rumor is worse than the news. And as long as the price of loans stays low when defaults are high, which kind of makes sense, you're not going to have 10% of loans defaulting and every other loan trading at par. There's going to be distress in the credit markets. Every loan that doesn't default pays off at par. It's a binary outcome. It might be refinanced, as Jeff pointed out, but it's definitely you get the money back at par and you can keep reinvesting on those dark days. So, so maybe, maybe, how, maybe put it a different way, fewer deals, but better deals for you. Very well, very well, good way to put it. Yes. So we might have some mark to market drawdown along the way. And a an ex perfect example is, is 2020 and 2021 for us. We had a, if you invested with ECC on January 1 of 2020, your NAV and distribution increase between beginning of 2020 and the end of 2021 was great. That wasn't a straight line, unfortunately. You know, no one, we, we haven't figured out how to make it a straight line yet, but the math worked over time. Um, very few investments are immune from short-term mark-to-market volatility, but the ability to keep reinvesting with cheap money locked in yesterday when the world is proverbially on fire or uncertain, frankly, is, is a great opportunity. Sadly, um, our screens are bright green today. I'm looking up and down my Bloomberg monitor. I kind of wish they were lower for a little longer. Um, that wouldn't have been the end of the world. Um, I think the market's quickly figuring out this was much more, the, 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 the FDIC did what it's supposed to do. It came in, it, it made the right and decision a little bit more. for the depositors. Yeah, and by and large, it was I'd an say that, I'd say the Fed and the Treasury did what it was supposed to do. The FDIC started by doing what it was supposed to do, and then the Fed and, and the Treasury got them to do even more, which, you know. Maybe gave them a little nudge to say that's that's cover all the yeah. We got to the right result by Monday morning. How about that? That's the relevant time frame. So, I couldn't agree more. Well, uh, Tom Majewski, uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, what a great time, like I said, to talk to uh, Eagle Point Credit, to look at CLOs and to look at what's happening uh, out on the edge of the, uh, the higher yield world. Uh, such a fascinating company, and we're grateful for your time. Great. Coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Eagle Point. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events 
with live transcription and event intelligence. That's era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And if you like the show, or I don't know, if you don't like the show, go on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you like, what you don't like. You can do the same on Spotify now, where other people will know what to think of the drill down. So many thoughts to be had, Isaac. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Eagle. Fine folks at, uh, at Eagle Point Credit. Um, and uh, Isaac, uh, I mentioned the dividend so often, and I don't like to have really stock-related bites, but I think it's interesting the way this business is built, and it's built to basically give all the profits or most of the profits back to uh, uh, the investors and the company. Uh, and so as a result, this sell-off in this stock that, is, that has come with this, um, I don't know if we can call it a financial crisis, but the financial concerns of recent days uh, and the failures of Silvergate Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature. Well, it has this company uh, paying a much higher dividend because if the dividend stays the same, I think what we heard there is the dividend is going to stay the same. Maybe it sounded like kind of that was the the hinting and the guidance. If the dividend stays the same and the stock price goes up, the dividend yield goes up, and that is your bite. The dividend yield at this moment for Eagle Point Credit, with the stock trading at about ten dollars and fifty cents a share, is twenty two point eight percent. So wow. if the stock were to stay flat and you're going to hold the stock for a year, you get a 22.8% return on your money with a dividend payment. So it's, That it's seems a, like a win. Well, yeah, 22.8% 22. would be a great win uh, yeah. on almost any year in, in the markets. <laughs> uh, but of course, the, the, the key is, can they keep paying that dividend? And right. can the stock price stay where it is right now? That dividend sort of helps uh, keep a, a, a bottom on this stock and an interesting company because of where we are in, in the credit and debt cycle. Are you been listening to Drill Down Podcast? We're grateful for your time in these exciting times. We're going to continue to keep an eye on things. Keep an eye on this podcast feed for special episodes. I had one last week uh, that I think really hit the, the story on the head. Who knows what's next? We'll be ready. Isaac Webster will, of course. He's our executive producer. Ben Wilson's our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.